0: In the world of kidlit, winning a Newbery Honor is a BFD, a big effing deal. And in 1998, Patricia Riley gifted just that, earning this important recognition for her middle grade book, Lily's Crossing. The Newbery Honor is awarded by the Association for Library Service to Children, a division of the American Library Association. It goes to a group of authors who are runners-up for the Newbery Medal, which goes to the author of the most distinguished contribution to American literature for children. That's even more of a BFD, But a Newbery honor is still pretty major, and if I do say so myself, Patricia Riley Giff totally deserved one for the all-too-beautiful Lily's Crossing. The book opens as 10-year-old Lily is preparing to leave her home in Queens, New York to spend the summer in the Rockaways with her father and grandmother. The year is 1944, and World War II is pretty much all that anyone can talk about. Lily can't wait to get to her summer destination so she can hang out with her best friend Margaret but when she arrives, she learns that Margaret's family is moving to Detroit so that her father can work on planes for the war effort. Things stray even further from the plan when Lily learns that her father, like Margaret's older brother Eddie, is joining the military. When Lily finds out that her neighbors have taken in a young Hungarian refugee named Albert for the summer, she's initially not impressed. But she and Albert quickly bond over the rescue of a kitten, and then over Albert's aspirations to swim across the Atlantic Ocean to Paris, where he hopes to be reunited with his sister Ruth. Lily is kind of a pathological liar, and when she plays along with Albert's dreams by telling him that she can turn him into a strong enough swimmer to make the trip, the implications of her dishonesty become more clear. Lily is relatable, and her relationship with Albert is a testament to the importance of friendship in the most challenging of times. Her love for her family, a tough but protective grandmother, a father who she failed to say goodbye to before he left for the war, and a late mother, is powerful, and Patricia Riley Giff's writing is so beautiful that it can only be described as a BFD. We get into so many interesting topics on this episode, everything from grief and privilege to hot dads and cats, and I am so grateful to our guest, Elizabeth Entenman, for every minute of this awesome conversation. Elizabeth is a freelance writer, editor, and advertising copywriter based in Brooklyn. She loves doing improv, Instagramming dogs, her dogs and those she meets on the subway, and organizing and reorganizing her bookshelves. She's currently the books editor at Hello Giggles. Follow her on Instagram at Entenman and Twitter at Elizabenton. And learn more about her work at www.elisabethanentenman.com. If you're loving the show, I'd love for you to consider leaving a review on iTunes or sharing that you're listening to it on Instagram. Tag us at SSR Pod. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR podcast. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. Hi, thank you for having me. We are talking about Lily's Crossing by Patricia Riley Giff, and I am so psyched that you picked it
1: yeah, you know, you were like, do you have any suggestions of things that you'd like to read? And I was like, for some reason, this book, Lily's Crossing, has always stuck out in my mind as something that's so special to me. And I hadn't revisited it in probably like 20 years. I was like, I want to read this. It, It just like came in an instant.
0: Well, it's so interesting because I could not remember reading this book before you and I had talked about it. And then as soon as you emailed me the title, it all came back to me that this had been one of my favorites too. And I think a lot of people feel that way. It's not a book that's talked about that much even when I was doing research for the episode typically when we're talking about a book I can find a bunch of like nostalgic articles on bustle or hello giggles or a variety of like lifestyle sites of women our age kind of like coming back to these titles and there's not a lot out there like that about Lily's Crossing but then I posted about it on my Instagram for the podcast and like immediately four or five people commented and were like oh my gosh Lily's Crossing I haven't thought about that in so long.
1: The same thing with me when I read it a couple of weeks ago, I posted a picture on my Instagram and like so many people were like, wait a minute, I haven't thought about this book in, like I said, 20 years. But like they were like, oh, my God, I loved this. And I forgot that I loved this. Do you remember what it was about the book? that made
0: you love it so much the first time or yeah
1: I think there's kind of a lot of different reasons for starters in like just a purely like from a fifth grade perspective did your teachers ever like read to you like when I was in fifth grade and now that I say that it sounds like I was like too old to be read to but in fifth grade my language arts teacher would start class by reading to us for like 10 or 15 minutes and she was reading Lily's Crossing to us at the end of the year and we didn't get to finish it because school ended but I was just like I have to know what happens in this book and I asked my parents to buy me a copy But it's so special, and like it felt like I was like breaking the rules because I like had the book that we were reading in school, which is so silly. So this book stuck out to me kind of for that reason, but also like I had so much in common with Lily. Like for starters, like we had the same name. She's an Elizabeth. Um, We both loved our best friend. Uh, We both hated practicing the piano. (laughs) We both had stars that we would stick on our ceiling. You know, the glow in the dark ones. And we both spent a lot of time with our grandparents. And so, and like I was reading it at the start of summer, um, and her story starts at the start of summer. Um, And even though we were like decades apart, she still felt very um, relatable. And I and I felt like I could see the world through her eyes, sort of. And the book made me fall in love with Necco wafers. (laughs) Well, first of all, I totally
0: relate to what you just said about like buying the book that your teacher read. I used to do that all the time, (laughs) even if a teacher had actually finished the book. I used to like fall in love with these books so much that I would then ask my parents if we could go pick them up because I wanted to read them myself Mm -hmm. I used to love the experience of being read to so much like probably way longer than I should have I enjoyed that experience yeah (laughs) probably when I until I was like in sixth or seventh grade and thinking about those moments still kind of like makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside like remembering my teachers reading to me and I just I always was like fascinated by teacher voice in the same way that I'm fascinated by teacher handwriting like I think teachers Mm -hmm. just have this way of reading that's really magical and I I think that a lot of teachers read books like Lily's Crossing Aloud, these books that were like very evocative with great description. And I don't know that I ever was read Lily's Crossing Aloud, but I totally relate to your experience. And I think you're right. Lily is so relatable to kids at any decade. And I think what's especially interesting is that even though this is a World War II story, Lily is a girl who's living in America. She has a lot of quote unquote normal concerns. She's dealing with things that kids across all times and places have dealt with. And I think that's part of what makes this book really interesting. So much of what you read as a kid about World War II is about kids living in Europe or about Jewish children. And those are all really important stories, but this is kind of an interesting take on it. And I think it's interesting for kids who maybe are living in America, who aren't on the other side of an ocean, dealing with what maybe we often think of as like the very real dark realities of wars or other tragedies, It's interesting for those kids to understand that even a seemingly like average to them child would have to manage with the fallout of world events that are much bigger than they can imagine.
1: We're not even at the 10 minute mark when I'm going to start talking about privilege. We're going to go there. (laughs) Um, But I sort of understood what was going on with like the war story while I was reading it, sort of. But I think that what resonated more to me as part of the war story was that this was the first time that I kind of understood privilege or what that. Meant Um, because you can read about war and race and class um, and immigration in school, but then when you read a story of someone who's so similar to you who's discovering these things, it felt like I was discovering them too. And so even though my life was very and circumstances were very different from Lily's, it still felt like she helped contextualize a lot of things that I never understood before. When she's at the bakery and the bakers worrying about not being able to have enough rations to sell her to like bake and sell baked goods and like when Lily gets really grossed out by the cream on her milk but Albert's like he's like dying to eat it because it's food and she just like will so easily throw it away and like when they go to the movies and he gets really scared because it's this movie about people coming to America on a boat it had never even occurred to her that that would like be triggering for him like like small things like that it was like watching her realize that her life has been very blessed, even though she has experienced struggles, her mom died, her dad's going off to war. But like, in relation, like, she's still lucky in a lot of ways. And like, this was I feel like the first time that she really realized that and like, really like helped me actually like kind of understand that about my own life, too. Yeah. And I think the
0: ways that she was affected by the war are even sort of privileged, like, Mm -hmm. they're sort of shiny, right? Like her dad has made the decision to go to war which is admirable. And he has these really noble ideas about how important it is for him to go and protect the Jews and, and the people that are being forced into camps and into all of these terrible situations by no fault of their own. He's really a respectable, heroic guy. Her best friend's brother has been sent to war. And there's there's a little bit of glamour in that for her. There's a little bit of imagination about like what's it like to go be that brave and how exciting it would be to fight for your country she's not dealing with poverty she's not dealing with the real loss of her comfort in the way that somebody like Albert
1: is thinking about it in terms of privilege is really interesting That was such a difference in reading it now, too, because then it was when I read it 20 years ago. I keep saying 20 years. I don't know the actual math, but I think it was sometime around 20 years. Approximately. Actually, it was. It was like 98. I was in fifth grade. Yeah.
0: Well, the book came out in 1997. (laughs) So assuming you are an enthusiastic reader the way I'm sure you were, it came out in 1997. It won the Newbery Award in 1998. So, yeah, somewhere in there, well, we can approximate 20 years. That sounds about yeah. right to me.
1: Our teachers, man, they jumped right on it.
0: <laughs> it wasn't so, even a
1: classic. It was a new release. So hot with the times. <laughs> um, and my copy, now I'm completely, bef- before I get too far off, though, I love this. I bought this used copy, and it has stickers on it that are like, please return this to sixth grade reading at Bow Elementary School. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. Anyway. Oh, that's so, cool. um, so they were they were reading it, too. They were reading it somewhere in grade six now looking back on it it's like I almost understand it at even other levels too because not to like completely get into immigration but like it presented a very like bird's eye view explanation of immigration at the time which was kind of enough for like an 11 year old to understand and digest but like now it's like oh well yeah this was that was kind of really something that stuck out to me reading it as an adult of like oh he was torn from his family. His sister had to stay because she was sick. Like, he came over on this boat and then had to go back. And, you know, and, and like, he do, he's not going to know where he's living. He doesn't know where his family is. Um, he just—all he wants to do is see his grandmother, but he's making the most of the situation that he can. And and at the time, I didn't really fully understand that, but I think I understood it enough. But now reading it was like, oh, okay.
0: Well, because as a kid, you see him as a friend. You see Albert as a friend, And you feel sad about the fact that he's alone. He's had this extremely treacherous journey. Not only has he been torn from his home in Europe to North America, but he was in Canada originally. And now he's kind of been sent away from Canada to Rockaway for the summer to be with, I believe, like his host family's Mm -hmm. sister. Like he's kind of just being tossed around at this point to different places. Mm -hmm. And so he really can't catch a break. Like he's sort of just moving with people's whims and I think as a kid that feels very scary and as an adult you can step back and realize like this is a much bigger problem with the systems that are in place in our world and you feel concern for this kid instead of just sympathy you're like why is why do we live in a world or why has anybody ever had to live in a world where any of this is okay and where there's not a safer place for you to to kind of like rest your head and and soak in the fact that you've been through all of this tragedy and to feel safe.
1: Yeah, something that I thought about a lot when I was rereading it was when I when I read it the first time, Lily's world seemed so big. I didn't really know like where the Rockaways were. I didn't really understand. I kind of just thought it was like she lives in a suburb and then every summer they drive like really really far to the beach and it's so far away. But now that I actually live in Brooklyn, I'm like, "Oh, it's it's not that far away. Like people go to the Rockaways for the day all the time and it's not that far of a drive. It's not that big of a world but then at times it is it is she does have such a big world because her dad's all the way in Europe like Albert has this life that extends to like different continents and yeah and something that I was thinking about a lot was like at times her world is so big and at other times it is really small but I guess that's how life is I don't really know what the lesson is there but It was just kind of in the back of my mind of like sometimes it seems like such a big world and sometimes it's not even though it feels like it.
0: Well, it's fascinating because these are kids who really have an almost uncomfortable understanding of like how dire the circumstances are in the world. Mm -hmm. I pulled out a few quotes that I just thought were really interesting in terms of like how they were processing everything that was going on around them. Mm -hmm. At one point, Lily says to the mailman who's asking her about Her dad and what's going on with him after he's gone off to war. She says, You know, you're not supposed to ask. You saw the poster at Mrs. Sherman's Loose Lips Sink Ships. Spies could be walking up and down Cross Bay Boulevard. And my father, who's on a ship right now, and then there's the dot, 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 of Mm -hmm. course. Margaret's mother has been saving candy for her brother who's overseas fighting, and Margaret sneaks some out to give to Lily and she says my mother is saving all this for my brother Eddie in the army now that he's a soldier fighting for his country he gets everything and I don't even get a sniff of this stuff so these kids are aware that these like terrible things are happening they're almost eerily comfortable with like talking about war but then again they have these concerns about candy and Lily doesn't want anybody to think that her family looks silly or poor when they're driving into the Rockaway with this old piano it's kind of this like really weird contrast because They have these very adult concerns, but at the same time, they're kids and they're trying to navigate their kid world.
1: You're still going to worry about candy because you're 10 years old.
0: Exactly. I mean, I was worried about candy when I was 10 years old. (laughs) Sometimes I'm still worried about candy. Let's be real
1: here. One of my quotes that stuck out to me was sort of in like the last third of the book, Lily's talking to Graham and Graham asks her like, what's the matter? And Lily says, things are never going to be the same. Not even when the war is over. Albert might not have his grandmother. He might not have Ruth. And that to me was like, oh, she's 10 years old and she's having to deal with this reality that like even if her father comes back, even if everything's okay, like it's going to be different. And the world is going to be different. I forget what happens to Margaret's brother. Does He he, he goes missing. Do they ever find him? They never find they him. They never in, really say. Yeah.
0: In those last two chapters where we kind of fast forward a year to the following summer, there's still this kind of like open-ended mm. question about where he is. Margaret and her family have not come back from Detroit.
1: That's right.
0: So we still don't really know what's going on with the Dillons. And I think the fact that obviously Lily's dad comes back, which is great. We get to see Albert again at the end. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those potentially like really traumatic, tragic plot points end in in happy ways and then Eddie's story is kind of left more open-ended which I guess is important because the author needs to show like it doesn't all end happily.
1: It wouldn't have been true if it had all like tied up perfectly which is unfortunate which is sad.
0: The conversation Mm -hmm. you just were referencing before with that quote where she and Graham were talking about things never being the same I really thought that conversation was interesting too because at some point in that exchange Graham kind of reveals how sad she is about the fact that her son has had to go off to war and I think Graham throughout the course of this whole story is sort of this like domineering intimidating woman she's holding it all together she handles things at home when Lily's dad has gone off to war presumably she's taking care of everything in the years since Lily's mom passed away unexpectedly and Lily realizes in the course of that conversation like Graham might scare the shit out of me but she's really scared like She's upset that her son is gone. She doesn't know if she's coming back. And I think that's an important part of any middle grade story in particular because it's powerful as a child to realize that the people who are supposed to be taking care of you, especially the ones that intimidate you and sometimes make you feel bad about yourself – those people get scared too. And those people can relate to your insecurities about what's going on around you.
1: And I think that conversation or somewhere around that point was also when Lily realized that like, yes, her own father was at war, but like Graham's son was at war. That was almost the turning point of like, oh, when you realize that like your family members are like humans, you know, where you're like, oh, Graham is suffering too. Yeah. And it's not all about Lily.
0: As much as Mm -hmm. I love Lily, I think there's potentially some controversy among readers about, especially adult readers, about what kind of a role model she is because she is fairly self-absorbed. I found a quote from the New York Times review when the book first came out. And generally the review the review was glowing. It says, For today's children, to whom World War II must seem as remote as the Civil War, Lily's story places history in real time. With Ms. Giff's usual easygoing language and swift short paragraphs, the impact of the war on an American child is brilliantly told. Obviously, that's all well and good, but near the end of the review, there's a quote that says, Still, what will parents who buy so many of Ms. Gifts books think of this one if they pause to read it themselves? Is Lily Malahan a good role model for their children?
1: Something that stuck out to me reading it as an adult was how much she lies, and I don't think I realized that as a kid. And I kind of went back and forth between being like, child, stop lying about everything for no reason— But then kind of another like part of me was like, well, I sort of get it. They're like not even lies so much as like stories that she's telling herself and like desperately wants to believe. And like she lost her mother and now she might lose her father. And like the war is having a bigger impact on her than she might realize. So I was kind of as much as I was like, damn girl, like, get it together. It was also like, oh, like, she's just a kid. But, I mean, is that a good quality to write into a book? I don't know. <laughs> she's really aware of her habit, too. Like, I really
0: appreciate the fact that she kept those that list of her problems. Yeah. Which is totally something I would have done when I was 10. And the first thing on the list was lying. Yeah. Um, and early in the book, it's things like, you know, she tells Margaret that her aunt is, like, a spy In Mm -hmm. Europe and sort of more like fantastical things that aren't really going to hurt anybody, but just give her an opportunity to like kind of look cool to other people. Again, it's interesting that these kids were kind of like trading in war stories. Like my family has been more affected by the war than yours. Or like my aunt does something cooler for the war than yours. Yeah. But then closer to the end and as the book goes on, her lies have a bigger impact. And it comes to a head when she starts telling lies to Albert and um, potentially like seriously endangers him with her Mm -hmm. exaggerations, I guess would probably be the better word for that particular lie.
1: It felt like that lie of her saying like, we'll get on a boat and like, we'll go swim and we'll catch up with the ship that will take us to see Ruth in Europe and my father. Like, I guess reading that as a kid, I like didn't really think twice about it. But reading it now, I'm like, that's crazy. Like, like, what I have, I guess I like bought it when I was a kid, but like, that's a really big thing. And like, now I'd be like, that would never happen. Like, it, I would be like, okay, that's a joke. It would never happen. But like, I guess a kid would actually believe that. I guess I bought it when I was a kid. That's an outrageous lie. <laughs>
0: it is outrageous. So, for listeners who haven't read the book in a long time, much of the plot of this book really turns on this conversation that Lily and Albert have when they're watching the ships outside their houses and Albert has started to open up to Lily about the fact that he has family left in Europe that he misses and that he was taken from obviously under challenging circumstances and Lily who's a really good swimmer talks about how like oh yeah we could totally like swim out there and catch a boat and you know we'll figure it out we'll get on a boat maybe it'll be the boat that my dad's on maybe not but either way we'll go to Europe and we'll figure things out And Albert, who is like so desperate to get back to his family for obvious reasons and probably just like looking for something to hold on to, is like, okay, sure. Well, then teach me to swim. Obviously, like, that's great. Just you know how to swim. I don't. We'll figure it out. And things kind of spiral out of control from there.
1: And like, did she say that because she assumed that he wouldn't take her up on it? Like, are all the things that she's lied about before things that she sort of knows she can get away with? And like she does it because she figures it'll never become a problem. And, like, this was the one that really blew up.
0: I wonder too, if there was almost a little bit of like a communication barrier. Because to me, like, when I hear Lily in my head saying these things, a lot of it's sarcasm, right? Where it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we could swim out there. It'll be crazy. Yeah. Obviously, she's 10, so she doesn't sound exactly like that. (laughs) But Albert, who's from Hungary and English is not his second language, like, maybe he doesn't pick up on some of her cues that, obviously, this is a great dream, but it's probably not a reality. And she's talking about it sort of offhand I I don't know if there is some sense of that where like they're just not speaking each other's language in any way shape or form
1: and there's one lie that she tells her dad or someone where she says like I've written 14 books and her dad like laughs because I think he knows that it's not true but so yeah that's exactly I didn't even think of that like he doesn't really Albert doesn't really get the difference in like what she's saying
0: Yeah. And he sees that she's a great swimmer. He's heard that Graham was this amazingly strong swimmer who taught Lily how to do what she did. So he sees it as an easy solution. Like, show me what you know. We both have high stakes here. You want to see your dad. I want to see my sister. Why wouldn't we be able to figure this out? And there's something so charming about that too. Just this idea, like as a kid, you do feel that way. Things feel solvable. Things feel manageable. And, you know, that feeling of having the whole summer ahead of you too, where we have all these months of sun and beach, we can figure this out. That's such, obviously, like a naive way to think. But I think, like you said, as a kid, it made sense to me, like, this is a fixable problem. And this is a project mm-hmm. that we can work on together.
1: It was such a sweet friendship. And I think I I kind of didn't really pay any attention to it when I was a kid, because I was just like, oh, sure, they're Lily and Albert are friends and whatever I have friends, you know, like, it wasn't anything special. But like, I didn't really have any like friends who were boys growing up Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm in the minority, but it was, it was looking back on it now. It was sweet to see like, Oh, here's just a story about like, a nice boy and a nice girl, just being friends. And like, I'm sure like, you know, it would be weird if there was like a romantic thing cause they were like 10, but like, it was just really sweet to see her genuinely want to be friends with him and like him genuinely become friends with her. I don't know if he even wanted to be friends with her at first, but it was just a sweet, like they didn't want anything from each other. Like it was a very pure, or I guess they did want things from each other because he wanted her to help him get to Europe. But like, it became like a sweet friendship that was very genuine.
0: They really needed each other, too, which was kind of Mm -hmm. cool. And at the beginning of the book, they didn't have that much interest in each other. Like, she was sort of curious about him, but at the same time, she was so upset that Margaret had moved away. Mm -hmm. She had that feeling of, like, nobody can replace my best friend. Mm -hmm. And at one point, one of the characters says to her, like, oh, this is perfect. You had one friend move away. Like, Albert's here. (laughs) Done. Like, now everything's great. And Albert is shy, so she's kind of just scoping him out. I pulled out this quote that really made me laugh. And it says, Lily had been wandering around all of yesterday and today trying to get another look at Albert. She wore the sailor hat Eddie Dillon had given her last summer, her sunglasses, and a thick layer of victory red lipstick from Gird's department store. Free, take one. Albert wouldn't recognize her in 100 years. And I just loved that disguise. I loved the image of her like creeping around in a sailor hat with lipstick on and like trying to figure out what's going on with this kid next door.
1: And like thinking that no one would notice her,
0: like <laughs> so smooth, Lily, great.
1: <laughs> yeah, like
0: a, like a ten year old
1: wearing lipstick and sunglasses.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we, have, I think as kids, like everybody had that kind of a moment where you thought you were getting away with something, and it mm-hmm. definitely wasn't working. So it was neat that their friendship built so much over the course of the book, and it really starts when they rescue this kitten. And as an animal lover, that whole scene. Totally broke my heart. Um, yeah. There's some kid, and we never find out what this kid's deal what was. His deal was who yeah. was that guy on the bike with the cat? Who then like puts the cat in the water, and then Lily? The cot. Be- yeah, it's so sad. The cot, yeah. <laughs> Albert calls him a cot, and Lily's like, "What do you mean? There's a cot in the water?" Thinking that it's like a bed, and it's a cat, as in C A T kitten. And Albert can't swim, so Lily has to help him. By like running into the water and saving the kitten, and they save the kitten together. What did you think about the symbolism behind the cat, who is ultimately named Paprika? Like clearly, Paprika sort of is a central part of the story. At the end of the book, just before Lily and Albert are reunited, Lily finds Paprika first, and she thinks mm-hmm. that it, you know, it's a sign that like Albert's being well taken care of. But what do you think that Paprika meant to these kids?
1: I think she really brought them together because there's that moment where Albert. Immediately starts calling her my, my cat. And Lily's, like, not out loud, but I think in her head, she's or, like, to the reader, she's, she wonders, like, he's not even going to say ours. Like, he's not even going to ask if I want to help raise it. But then she kind of, like, concedes and is like, okay, she realizes, like, he's lost a lot, and this cat means a lot to him. And so she offers um, Margaret's family's house, which she has um, had a key for, which Margaret gave her before they left. I feel like the cat is kind of what made Lily, like, give up on trying to— I don't know. She just like gave in and was like, "I just want to be to be friends with him. I don't like. I'm gonna stop snooping on him. I'm gonna stop like trying to figure out his deal, and I'm just gonna like extend an olive branch and like actually want to be friends." And then it really brings them together.
0: Yeah, at first she kind of wanted to like take credit for the kitten, which is something that I totally understood because if I'd had any hand as a kid (laughs) in like saving an animal, I would have fully expected for that animal to like be my full time pet. Mm -hmm. And it's hard as a ten year old to understand sharing in any capacity and then to sort of have to give up time and and the company of this like really cute little animal and then yeah she sort of understands that albert like needs something to take care of and i think that's another signal that she's becoming less self-absorbed yeah it's sort of the first moment that we see her maturing and then at, at the end of the book paprika is like a sort of forerunner of albert's arrival she's a signal that Albert is there and at first Lily just like takes peace in seeing that the cat is alive and then obviously it's even better when she finds that her friend has come back for the summer.
1: Yeah. I think that like her willing to start calling it Albert's cat and like not even and just kind of let go that that he didn't want to share it. It was like big of her, you know, for a 10 year old. That's like a very big deal. That
0: is a big deal. I don't know that I would have done that. (laughs) I also think the fact that she really wanted to be a hero. Like that was a theme throughout the book. Like she saved the cat. She wanted to continue to save the cat. She wanted to be the one to give the cat a home. And I think in some ways, like that first instance with the cat, she sort of like failed at being the prevailing hero because Albert was the one who became the cat's primary caretaker. But at the end of the book, when Albert tries to actually get in the rowboat and go out to Europe and catch a a ship to Europe... Lily actually does get to be the hero. And so it's Mm -hmm. like she has a few attempts throughout the book at like trying to save the people around her and, and trying to like have that moment of glory. She actually gets it in the end. It's just a little bit harder
1: fought than maybe she would have liked. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even think about that. But then it's but then it's almost like she gets that moment, but it's not even like what it was all about. Like then she's just glad her friend is okay. And that they're not in trouble.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she feels terrible. Obviously, she's like, I led this kid completely down the wrong path. And Mm -hmm. this was a very bad idea. And she has to take responsibility. I made a note of the fact that, like, she actually says to one of the adults, like, this was totally my fault. It was Mm -hmm. my idea. I told him that we should do this. And I was wrong.
1: And... Something that I think around that time, I sort of forget exactly when it happened, but Lily and Albert realizing why people made these tough decisions and that like their family members made them so that they could have a better life was like huge. That Mm. was like my big like takeaway from the end, too, was like Albert's like, why am I here? Why am I suffering alone and lily's like why is my dad gone and they both kind of realized like they did it for us it was like such a big moment for me
0: yeah and we sort of have to deal with the less than fantastic circumstances that we're living in and know that at least we're alive because our parents have had to deal with much harder situations yeah. on our behalf no pressure of. no right like no pressure. don't worry about it <laughs> Just try to suffer in silence if you could. That would be great. Like, don't think about it. Just, like, grin and bear it, and everything will be fine.
1: It's funny that you said that you brought up the Victory Red Lipstick because there were so many little quotes when I was reading that, again, I haven't read this book in 20 years, but, like, I instantly remembered Victory Red Lipstick and, like, seeing things, like, when she calls it, like, the damn piano and, like, the show that they listen to, like, Portia Faces Life. Like, there are so many little terms and like names and things that I immediately and like Albert calling the cat a cot or -hmm. things that I was like I haven't thought about this in 20 years but I remember it like it just happened like I just read it for the first time. I think so much of it is in the good writing
0: because I feel the same for me a lot of it was the images of the food like Graham packing her Mm. spam sandwich and Lily taking it and eating it on the beach or the strawberries and bananas on her rice krispies in like a smiley face.
1: Mm -hmm. This really is
0: just like the best kind of middle grade writing. I forgot how fantastic Patricia Riley Giff really is. And I found myself just highlighting like so many paragraphs, not because there is anything that important going on in them, but just because I was like, wow, this is really good kid writing. No wonder she won the Newbery. Mm -hmm. Not that anybody
1: asked me, but like, I totally agree. (laughs) It made me so nostalgic for being in fifth grade and reading it for the first time. Mm-hmm. I loved what she at the very end she at least in my copy at the very end there's like a note from Patricia and she were on a first name basis and, um, hey, Pat, and she I thought you called her Pat, Pat Patty in <laughs> <laughs> um, the very end like one of the last things she writes is she says I want readers to know that love and friendship make a difference which is like so sweet. And so like important still. And I hope the kids are still reading this because it's even more of an important story now, sort of.
0: I think especially with all of the bigger conversations we have going on right now about the refugee crisis and everything, Mm -hmm. Albert and his sister Ruth, who unfortunately don't meet until the end, they're such great symbols of what that actually means. And I think meeting through a book, a kid like that can be really important for young people who just can't wrap their head around Like, what is a refugee? What could a refugee crisis actually be about? And to see that there's kids out there who are thrown into these terrible situations and and really just, like, trying to find a way out of them to then be able to picture that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of kids like this trying to figure Mm -hmm. that out. Like, that would be a really powerful experience, I think, for an elementary school or a middle
1: schooler you know, to actually like have a taste
0: of that through this book.
1: And looking back now, when I was looking at it again, it was like, oh, historical. I was looking at it on Goodreads because I was like, what's this book about again? And it was like, oh, historical fiction. And I was like, unpopular opinion. I do not enjoy historical fiction at all. I do not enjoy it in any way, shape or form. Me neither. But for some reason, I loved this. And I it was almost like I remembered it as like taking place in real time. I really like forgot that it was a World War Two story. The only thing I remembered about that really was that her dad... Went away to war, and that she, he sent her those like cryptic letters about you know what what book she should read as to give her clues of where he was. So I knew that it was a world that it was a war story, but it felt like it was just something that took place like in 1998 when I was reading it.
0: Well, it's kind of like what we were talking about before: how this is a World War II story, but it's not about a child that's living in Europe. It's not about a child who is in America but is Jewish and is living in you know with a very different kind of fear. This is about An American child who is like going to the beach for the summer. There's a war going on. Her dad's there. Her best friend's brother is there. But she's not involved in it in a first-hand way. And I think that lends to a more timeless quality whereas like number of the stars is one that sticks out for me as like mm-hmm. obviously a world war ii book because it's about a child that has like much different kinds of concerns has a mm-hmm. lot more like a lot more writing on what's happening in the war whereas lily like obviously it would be terrible if something happened to her father but it doesn't feel like it's quite as tied up in the war as so many other books that i read as a kid
1: yeah it's not a direct war story it's like the result of a war story.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting now, you know, I feel like our country has now been embroiled in a war for like basically as long as I've been alive. And so in some ways it's like, we're all kind of like Lily, you know, we Mm -hmm. all live in America and we're aware of what's going on overseas and we hear about it on the news. And it's very easy for me to be like, Oh yeah, like my friend's brother-in-law, you know, is a Marine and went to the middle East and that was scary. In the same way that Lily can say, like, my best friend's brother went to Europe and that's scary. So I think it's interesting that we can all kind of relate to that where it's like we're aware of what's going on and it's upsetting and it's scary. But we have, like you said, the privilege of just kind of like mostly living our normal lives. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the whole
1: subplot where Lily like
0: never says goodbye to her dad?
1: So I was just thinking about her dad because I was going to ask you, like, Poppy's like really hot, right? (laughs) I think he's hot like I yeah
0: yeah, he's like The quintessential American soldier, I feel like he's probably maybe 30. Like, I don't think he's old. Yeah. I think he's like a young hot
1: dad. He's like a Dennis Quaid type dad. Yeah. Or like,
0: I'm thinking um, maybe like Josh Hartnett slash Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. But maybe that's just because those are my like go-to hot soldiers. Dennis
1: Quaid is old now. But
0: like, he's like a parent trap type Dennis Quaid. Right. Like parent trap era. Totally. I I see see entirely (laughs) where you're going. Okay. So Poppy's hot. (laughs) Poppy's hot. And so the subplot, so now that we know what he looks like. (laughs) We've established his hotness. It's very important. The baseline hotness.
1: Because I feel like the cover that shows Lily, like I picture that when I read her because they show you who Lily is so right. like I feel like I feel like Dennis Quaid could be her dad anyway I so. <laughs> but I, I feel like she pushed a lot of that away or she was really hard on herself about it because I don't think Poppy minded or or I think that Poppy saw through it and was like oh she's just being a kid like it's fine but I think she was really really hard on herself about that and honestly that's a very normal reaction like she's 10 years old and not to like defend her because I know she's a controversial children's literature figure but um I could see myself like kind of throwing a weird fit and then like blowing it on saying goodbye to one of my parents because I was like an only child and I was not socialized properly (laughs) and that's another way that I relate to her there are a lot of things that she did that like weren't necessarily great but I was like I relate to you and I probably (laughs) would have done the same thing right I think that that is a subplot I think that I think that he clearly didn't mind because he sent her letters and and everything was And everything was fine. But I think she like really held on to it. Yeah. I mean, she clearly felt very intensely about it at the
0: beginning. There's a quote where she was like, I didn't need Graham to tell me how bad it was. I knew how bad it was. And she tried to get there. She sort of had this idea that she wasn't going to say goodbye. And then minutes before she knows he's leaving, she like takes off to the train station and realizes that she's too late and she's waving and and she realizes she's like I know that Poppy didn't see me like I was waving but I knew mm-hmm. I know that I didn't make it in time and then we kind of come full circle because at the end Poppy has gone to find Ruth Albert's sister because they both are in France and um Poppy comes back and they discuss the fact that Ruth feels guilty that she never got to say goodbye to Albert when he mm-hmm. was taken away and Poppy says I told her that saying goodbye didn't matter not a bit what mattered were all the days you were together before that all the things that you remembered and so obviously, Poppy wasn't upset. And obviously, he makes her feel better in the most like
1: beautiful literary way possible. Mm-hmm. I think they all kind of held on to a little something that they that in reality, like wasn't a huge deal, but they felt so terrible about like, Albert was like, I didn't open my eyes. and Like he pretended to be asleep. He tells Lily that he was pretending to be asleep when they came to take Ruth away. And, and like he was holding on to like, I didn't open my eyes. I didn't like, I pretended to be asleep. I didn't, I let her, I let them take her. And like, obviously would that really have made a difference? I, I don't know. But he, to him, it's like he ruined everything and then it took him forever to let go of that. Yeah. Because he didn't even tell Lily that part of the story until the
0: very end. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I lied to you about what actually happened between Ruth and I before I left. And especially relative to all the lies that Lily told, like, that didn't really seem like a lie. That just seemed to me like something that he didn't want to share. And Lily thinks she had told a hundred lies, a thousand lies, but Albert had told only one and it wasn't really a lie. All he had done was keep his eyes closed. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, he's held on to it. He doesn't want to share it. And it's, it's interesting that Lily, who is like so aware of the fact that she's dishonest a lot of the time, like the way that she thinks about this sort of like, I don't again, it's not really a lie. It's something that he's not sharing, like it's just interesting the way that she compares the way that he shares his stories to like all of the dishonest things that she said over the time that they've gotten to know each other. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about the word crossing and part of this title. It's called Lily's Crossing, obviously. Mm-hmm. And at the end, I started like, you know, throwing it back to my AP English classes and being like, what does Mm -hmm. crossing really mean? Like, let's really break this down. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a few ways to think about it, obviously crossing in terms of like the attempt to potentially cross the water so that they can go to Europe. But I think that it's probably really meant as this like bigger observation about Lily's like emotional growth throughout the
1: story. Mm -hmm. What do you think? That's so, I didn't even think of that, but in, in small ways, isn't don't they live in like Sheep's Bay crossing, isn't crossing like one of the names of the streets Oh yeah, too? I think Something. so. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, that's like as far as my symbolism goes, is <laughs> 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 like one of the streets is named crossing. But, um, but yeah, that's, it's almost like there's like so many different crossroads kind of, of like her in this place where the war is sort of forcing her into like adult, not adulthood, but like, she's having to learn a lot of hard truths of, that you know, you, most people don't really learn until they're much older about, you know, losing people and, and, and why her father made the sacrifice that he did. And, and then like the crossing of literally like the crossing of the water, like you said, but then even just like in a place where she's learning to put childish behaviors behind her, like lying, like exaggerating the truth, like, you know, blowing off Graham, (laughs) those kinds of things of like really her becoming an adult, which is a shame because it happens a lot sooner than, you know, it should for, for most kids, but I guess that's the era. Yeah. There's this amazing
0: final chapter that takes place a year later. So most of the book takes place in the summer of 1944. And then at the end, we jump ahead to the summer of 1945 and she's reflecting on the previous school year. So the school year that she's, um, had since she left Rockaway from that summer with Albert and she talks about how she stopped lying and how, like, every time she wants to lie, she thinks of Albert and how that sort of, like, changed her perspective on things. Then we have this great reunion scene with Poppy, which I loved because I feel like the absence of cell phones in this time period just, like, <laughs> so heightens it. You, she didn't know when he was coming back. She didn't know if he was coming yeah. back. And then there's, like, the turn in the lock, and she hears it, and she just goes running down the stairs, and it's sort of just, like, this perfect reunion moment.
1: You know what it reminded me of? Did you read the American Girl books? Yeah. Okay, so this was like how Molly's. So there were six, so, so you know, there's like six, you remember there's like six books in each one. Right. And then in the very last one, Molly was the American Girl doll that was, at the time, she was the most advanced one. <laughs> and now mm-hmm. there's like a billion American Girl dolls, but she was the like most recent doll. Right. But she lived during World War II. And at the very end, spoiler to anyone who's going to read. <laughs> Molly's American Girl doll books at the end of the sixth book, she has the exact same sort of moment where her father comes back from the war, like the, the key turns in the lock, and like she's on the stairs and her dad's there. I literally have goosebumps because like I'm just thinking about I was like reading these books at the same time, you know, right. And that was like such a it it reminded me so much of, of that story. Yeah, that's such a
0: nice moment. And then the three of them, Lily, Poppy and Graham all get in the car and they go out to Rockaway again. And she's feeling all sad because she misses Albert, who was a friend that she'd made last summer. And we're not quite sure where Albert's gone. We assume maybe he's gone back to Canada, or hopefully been reunited with his family in Europe. Things are quieting down with the war, thankfully, and that's a big celebration. And then she sees the cat, and that's kind of like, you know, symbolic of the fact that Albert's okay, or maybe at least the cat's being taken care of. She feels good about that, and then Albert walks in. And everything is wonderful. I honestly couldn't remember when I reread this recently if Albert came back. And I don't want to say that I was disappointed that he did. Because obviously it was great to see him again. But I just kind of wonder like how the lesson would have been different. Or how the book as a whole would have felt different if Albert didn't come back and if she'd sort of just had to trust in their friendship and trust in the fact that like he learned what he needed to from the summer and that everybody was okay what do you think about that
1: like she could have just found the cat and that would have been a nice ending in a way I agree that's kind of
0: what I was hoping for when we saw the cat I was like okay great that could be it yeah well
1: it's it's a good closure but then then you also get Ruth Mm, true and so it's
0: kind
1: of like I guess the only thing that really is meant to symbolize like Loose ends that aren't tied up as Eddie still being lost. Right. But I agree. I think it would have been nice if it had just kind of ended with her like not really knowing. And again, if this story had been told today, because she would be like Facebook friends with Albert and like she would know root, you know what I mean? Like they would all know each other and she would know if he was coming back and she would know if he was okay and where he was. And I sort of like, I mean, that's like a twisted thing to say that I like that they didn't know everything about each other, but it was to have a reunion. At least it was nice that it was a surprise.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because I think obviously when you and I would have read this in probably the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of these things made sense. We didn't have social media. We barely had email, especially as 8, 9, 10-year-olds. Mm-hmm. We didn't have cell phones. So all of this being a little bit more of a surprise was more believable. You could still have that magic of a completely unexpected reunion, especially as a kid who wasn't really, I mean, I think I was on like some weird like AOL chat rooms because that was <laughs> what you did at that point. But Other than that, I wasn't connected with anyone in any real way outside of seeing them at school. And so in the 90s, this was a lot more believable. And you could relate to that kind of an experience of just like being completely shocked by seeing somebody. And it's so funny how even, you know, in 15, 20 years, that idea is completely out the window. That would just never happen. There's no part of me that can understand what what it would feel like. So you have no idea what was happening with somebody that I'd cared about, even for like a month,
1: even her father away at war, right? She had no idea where he was. Mm-hmm. And the only way or if he was even gone to war yet, because didn't he go up to like New Jersey, down to New Jersey, over to New Jersey, whatever the direction is. Yeah. Um, and she and he was like, I might be going. And then eventually he like slipped her clues that he was in in Paris. Now you would, I assume, and maybe it's a little different depending on like what Part of the service you're in, but like you know where your loved one is and you can talk to them, you can see them, right? You can face. I would assume
0: that at some yeah. point you can FaceTime or you can Skype. Like there's some way to be in touch at least once a week or once every two weeks just yeah. to know that the other person is okay. I mean, she didn't even know if her dad was alive because I would assume that it would take several months for you to get word back that a family member had died. So you're probably either waiting for the key in the lock to be your loved one or you're waiting for a knock on the door with news.
1: I know a lot of the things that people say about our, our, our generation of like 30 year olds is like you were, we remember like before and after, like we remember a time when there was no internet, but also like now we're obviously like adopters of every technology for the most part. And so it is strange though, how quickly you can go back into that mindset of like, oh yeah, there was a time where like, I would have had no idea. Also he sent her a lot of letters, right? Like yeah, and they seemed to come kind of quickly. They came really fast. Like, granted, I guess this was spaced out
0: over maybe, like... Three months, probably, three months. over the course of a summer. Yeah, three
1: months. But by the, a lot but of by letters, the time though. he started sending her letters, it was, like, month two. And then she would get... She got, like, three or four. Yeah, I don't know. Were they... Could they have been telegrams? Because they were kind of short, oh, too. Like, I don't... Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm pretending like I know anything about television. I know, me too. <laughs> outside of like the Sound of Music with Rolf, the telegram deliverer,
1: yeah. or, um, um, and that's a be clue with the telegram lady that gets shot.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it seems like they came really fast, and they were all sort of short. So I wonder, I wonder if yeah. it, they're supposed to be telegrams. But yeah, it's, and I just think it's an interesting concept because now when I read historical fiction that's been written more recently even though it's obviously about a time past potentially World War Two, for example it's a lot harder for me to suspend disbelief and be like oh, yeah, it totally makes sense that these people would have no idea what's going on with their loved ones. Whereas even though it's been 20 years since I read this book for the first time, it was very easy for some reason for me to slip back into that mindset of like, yeah, they have no idea what's going on. And if they find each other again, it's going to be a total surprise. So that was kind of a neat experience. It's been a long time since I was able to suspend that disbelief and like remember that those magical moments used to happen. Those reunions used to happen and they used to be like completely shocking and really special and emotional. Yeah. It was very affecting, I think, to read that. Um, yeah. And I enjoyed that a lot. It was a nice ending, even though I, I think I would have been just as happy to maybe not see Albert again, maybe to just get news <laughs> that Ruth was safe, maybe to get a great letter from Albert or from Ruth. Mm-hmm. Um but the moment
1: for her dad to bring that and that's kind of the closure. Yeah, that would have been good closure
0: for me. It almost was like too much that then in the last page it was like, Oh, and he'll here's Albert too. That was like a lot, but generally I think the ending yeah. was really nice. The book is beautifully done. Um I'm really glad that I got to reread it again. Thank you so much for choosing it.
1: Yeah, it's funny that like too, reading a book when when you're like 10 years old, it was like a book that you like have to read at school or reading at school. It's like, Oh, another chapter. But then like to read it as an adult, you could read this book in like two hours. And, and I guess maybe that's just kind of the result of being 30 years old now, but like reading it at the time, it seemed like such an undertaking and it seemed like such a big book, but now like the chapters are like four pages long and like, it's not even, you know, it's like 150 175 pages and it seemed like such a big it was such an affecting book to me for some reason yeah I love And I mean that for, for all the reasons that we talked about I guess but like yeah it was such a big deal and now it's like oh yeah we just like read it really really quick and it's just a quick little little middle grade read but what a special book
0: and overall did coming back to it more recently did it make you love it more or did it sort of ruin it in some way for you
1: it really did make me like it more. I feel like I sort of appreciated it in even on like further levels now. I thought about it a little bit when my my own mom passed away in 2011. This book sort of came to mind because it was one of the first books that I read as a kid where like someone didn't have a parent. Mm. I mean, that's probably not true, but for some reason like that part stuck out to me. And even though I hadn't read it in so long, I thought about it because I was like, oh, I remember this character who's, whose mom died and she and I think the book is almost like really nicely talks about the effects of grief on you in ways that you might not realize until you've lost someone like you like a mother or father or parent or like, a, a you know, a really close relative or friend, because there are so many ways that like Lily forgets that sh- she doesn't really talk about her mom, which I think I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like going there. We were Do like it. trying to wrap up. Now no. I'm like talking about... Dead parents, but she um in a lot of ways she forgets that she has a mom or she just doesn't even really talk about her a lot Mm -hmm. because that's kind of like the easiest way to deal with it. Like I think it's really hard for her to not have her mom, and she rem she like honors her in really small ways of like she you know she she brings the stars every year and she says like this was the my mom's birthday gift to me every year. Like I bring a star from my my bedroom at home and bring it to my bedroom um, in the Rockaways. But then like there's a moment where Albert says something like the cat needs milk and her mother and Lily like has a flash and sort of like remembers that she also needs her mother. Mm. And I think I like just kind of saw a lot of a lot of like small things in her that she doesn't really she needs a mother so badly, but she like doesn't want to think about it and she like doesn't want to turn to Graham for, you know, to be to be to kind of fill that void and she doesn't really have anyone to To fill that for her. And I reading it, that was a big thing hmm. that, that stuck out to me in rereading it of like, oh, here's this motherless daughter who's now also sort of a fatherless daughter in a way.
0: Well, and we never meet her mother, but it, her mother still feels kind of ever-present in the book with the stars. As Elizabeth said, mm-hmm. there's this kind of beautiful thread where Lily's whole ceiling at home in Queens is covered in these little stars, which so many of us had growing up. And, and her tradition is that every summer she pulls one down and brings it to Rockaway and gives it to herself sort of as a gift from her mother. And it's because her mother was the one to put those stars on the ceiling. The quote says, I have stars on my bedroom ceiling. My mother pasted them all up for me when I was a baby. She told my father she was making a world for me. She said she wanted to give me the whole world, which is so beautiful and one of my favorite lines of the book. And then she talks to Albert about it and she says it was so nice to talk about her mother as if she, Lily, were like everyone else, like everyone who had a mother. Mm -hmm. and that, I think, kind of sums it up and and kind of relates to what you were just saying, which is, like, she never forgets her mother, but she doesn't really get to talk about her much, and I wonder if those feelings about her mother are part of the reason that she pushes Graham away through most of the book. Mm -hmm. Like, she just, like, doesn't want that maternal presence in her life if it can't be her Mm -hmm. actual mom.
1: Yeah, and it's one thing. I was 23 when my mom died, but, like, when you're 10, I mean, I could barely, like, realize what was going on, and it took me a while to, like, kind of understand my feelings about it and understand, you know, how I felt and how you move on and how you, and how you deal with it and honor it. But like, if that had happened to me when I was 10, I, I mean, of course I, I would, you know, push people away and like not really under, cause you know, cause she, I'm, I'm sure she had no idea like what she was really feeling in some ways and wouldn't for a while, but yeah, that was kind of like a bittersweet, mm. a bittersweet part that stuck out to me in rereading it. I was like, Oh, I relate to this girl so much. Mm.
0: Well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that experience and it's interesting the way that you were able to relate to her in this completely different way all these years later.
1: Yeah. And like we both played the piano, the damn piano.
0: (laughs) The damn piano, the old (laughs) piano that she had to haul all the way from Queens to Rockaway. And she was so embarrassed, but it was so nice that her dad had thought to have it brought up for her even though like I think it's so funny that you know she was the one who would had the idea to take piano lessons and mm-hmm. then she actually hates it but she doesn't want to admit to her family that she hates it and that's such a relatable thing where like you uh-huh. as a kid have all these grand plans to learn to do something or to start an activity and then your parents throw all this money at it and then you're like <laughs> oh actually I don't like to do this but you can't be the one to say that because now all these investments have been made and it's kind of too mm-hmm. late to back out so.
1: One of the funniest parts to me was like It's such a like one-off moment, but when she's there's like one scene that really scene there's like one chapter like moment that really focuses on her actually practicing, Mm. and she is just so passive aggressive about it, (laughs) and so like bang out, like, a C scale over and over, and she'll just, like, do it louder and louder, like, just to piss off Graham. And Graham is like, I know what you're doing. Like, practice. And so she's like, okay. And she'll just, like, do everything. Like, if you want me to practice, like, I'm going to make it as annoying as possible, which is, like, such a, like, fifth-grade, ten-year-old thing to do. Yeah, it doesn't matter if there's a huge world war going on. You're still a
0: ten-year-old, and, like, you still (laughs) don't want to practice the piano. Yeah. And this, this book does such a great job of illustrating that in a way that... I think, you know, based on your and my experience, is great whether you're in elementary school or whether you're in your late 20s, early 30s. It's um, a really great book. So I'm so glad we got to read it. Thank you so much for choosing it. Before we wrap up, I'd love if you could share a recommendation or two of a book that you've read more recently that our listeners might want to check out. I see you in front of this massive wall of bookshelves, so I'm sure you probably have about like a hundred that you could think of, but is there one that you think that our listeners should add to their TBR list?
1: One of my favorite books that I've read this year is The Ensemble by Asia Gable, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if you've read it. Um, I
0: did. I read it earlier this uh, summer.
1: Did you love it?
0: I liked it a lot. (laughs) I'm going to let you give your recommendation first and then I'll share my thoughts because I think it's a really great book. And honestly, the reason that I didn't love it is probably my own fault. So I'll let you (laughs) I'll let you sing its praises first and then I will share my gentle counterpoint.
1: So I loved it, but I fully realized that it's not necessarily a book that everybody else will love. I think the things that I loved about it might be things that just like drive people crazy in terms of like the way that the book is structured or the way that it flows. It's gorgeous writing. It's about the four members of a of a string quartet and it follows them through four different parts of their career and each part centers around a big concert that they have to give. And Asia uh, was a former musician herself. She kind of made this decision. Um, you can read our interview on Hello Giggles, but, um, she sort of made this decision when she was in college of like, should I pursue going to conservatory? Like, am I good enough to to do this? Or should I just kind of give up on the dream? Like, because it might, it might not happen because I'm not like the best. And so she chose to give it up, but she, but music is still such a big part of her life. Um, and it comes through so clearly in the, the writing is so like melodic and, and beautiful. But I think that the thing that would maybe turn people off was just how like it flows, I enjoyed it. It flows like very seamlessly. Like one minute it's one character, one minute it's another character talking, um, and you kind of have to pay attention as you go, but. I absolutely loved it. I think it's a beautiful study of human behavior because you get to meet these characters and you get to follow them for like a couple decades. And it sort of like cuts out the stuff that you don't really care to read about in life. It just kind of drops you right into the big moments. And so I I really, I really loved it. But I am dying to hear your take.
0: (laughs) No, I loved it for all the reasons that you just mentioned. The character development is really great. The reason that I think I didn't love it was because it was one of the first books that I kind of saw all over Bookstagram after I started doing social media for SSR. So I, you know, a lot of the listeners probably know this already, but I worked in book publishing for about five years before leaving to pursue freelance writing, and I've been writing full-time for two years. And um, in the last couple of months, I've gotten a chance to kind of come back into this book world that I love so much through the podcast and being back on social media in this book world has been really fun. And once I launched the SSR Instagram earlier this summer, the ensemble was one of the first books that was really being buzzed about like all over. And so I think I just was like really hyped on it. It has all of the attributes of a book that I would love. The Interestings is one of my favorite books of all time. And I think in my head, I was like, oh, this is just gonna, this is gonna be just like The Interestings. It's these interconnected stories, these friends that are artists. Each one is gonna have sort of like a different take on what happened and we're gonna get into their head. It's a great cover. And honestly, I didn't really look at the synopsis very closely beyond what I saw on Instagram. So I didn't know that it was going to be so heavy on classical music. And so honestly, like I just found all of the descriptions of classical music a little distracting because I think I was just so excited for it to be something more like The Interestings or mm-hmm. it was all character. And I, for some reason, I just think... It was like too much for me too much background about classical music and maybe it's just something that I have never experienced myself but it's not that I didn't like it I just think maybe it didn't quite meet my expectations and like I said that's totally my fault. I would recommend it to other people and I'm going to include a link to it as well as a link to the interview that you mentioned on Hello Giggles in the show notes so that um, our listeners can check that out pick up a copy, read the interview. I'll also include a link to Lily's Crossing so that you can pick up a copy of that and reread it or read it for the first time as well because I think it's obvious that both Elizabeth and I would like highly recommend this one to you no matter how old you are. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you came to chat with me about this book. I had so much fun talking with you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Bye. Bye.